The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello, welcome to Our Catholics Believe. This is a continuation of our consideration of the Catholic Catechism. And we're using as our basic text, this text by Father William J. Cogan, a brief catechism for adults. It says it's a complete handbook for, on how to be a good Catholic. And uh, this book was originally published before the Novus Ordo happened. Uh, it does reflect some updating. This, this edition reflects some updating of the Novus Ordo, but we drew, uh, deal with that as we come to it in the book. I do take this moment to mention to you, though, that uh, at Immaculate Conception Academy, we are uh, preparing to offer high school classes or high school courses online. So come this September, we should be up and running with uh, a pretty good uh, representation of the more difficult classes to teach, that is, especially for homeschool parents who are teaching their children who might not have a background in Latin or math or science and religion, <coughs> we'll, uh, we'll be offering courses in these subjects. So you might go to uh, the, ACE, a, the Ohio website for Immaculate Conception Academy, icaohio.com. Uh, we've had some survey trouble, but uh, that is going to be solved very soon. So don't be discouraged. But at the Academy website, icaohio.com, you will be able to find out information on these courses that we're going to be offering. Now, tonight we're talking about Lesson 37. That's the fourth commandment we're addressing here. And this chapter begins with a quotation from the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 3. Son, support the old age of thy father, and grieve him not in this life. And if his understanding fail, have patience with him, and despise him not when thou art in thy strength. For the relieving of the father shall not be forgotten. For good shall be repaid to thee for the sin of thy mother. And in justice thou shalt be built up. And in the day of affliction thou shalt be remembered, and thy sins shall melt away as the ice in the fair warm weather. Uh, rather intriguing, <coughs> beautiful passage from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiasticus. talks about how meritorious it is in the eyes of God to love and care for one's parents, show deference to them, <coughs> especially as they age and become infirm, that we should use the strength that we have to do for them what they did for us when we were unable to do these things for ourselves. So uh, this is actually, you might say, the least we can do for our parents is uh, to try to return uh, their solicitude toward us when we were not able to love them as they loved us. <clears throat> In any case, question number one, what is the fourth commandment? Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, that honoring covers a lot of ground here, obviously. 
It is a commandment of God. Actually, this commandment comes after the first three, and the first three have to do with our duties to Almighty God. First of all, acknowledging the one true God and, uh, and honoring Him uh, by adoration. And the second commandment uh, exhorts respecting the holy name of God. And the third commandment, honoring the day of God and keeping it holy. And immediately after that, God turns his attention to the duties we own to our parents, that is, those who on earth represent God by the authority of God that they hold over us, that God has entrusted to them for our sakes, authority that they must exercise in love. And so our parents really do represent two of the most important ideas we have and uh, concepts so necessary that it will be impossible to save our soul without knowing these two things. And we learn from our parents, even when we're tiny and unable to, to love them at all, we learn what love is. We gradually learn from our parents the meaning of love. We learn to love from them in the first place, and we also learn authority. We learn what their authority is. Their authority is there and exercised in love. <clears throat> and both of those, their love and their authority, originate in God himself. And so if we think about God the Father and we think about the basic concepts we have to understand in order to really appreciate the fatherhood of God, it really comes down to knowing God's love and knowing his authority. Uh, so these two concepts are so essential to human life, not only in this world, but in the next as well. Even to understand or have any, any understanding of who God is and our relationship to him, we have to understand what love is and what authority is. We learn those lessons primarily from our parents. By honoring them, then, we are learning to honor God. Again, we're quoting from the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 7. With thy whole heart, honor thy father, and forget not the groanings of thy mother. <clears throat> Referring to the fact that she brought us into this world and gave birth to us, and we should always be mindful and appreciative of that. Remember that thou hadst not been born, but through them, and make a return to them, as they have done for thee. Again, the book of Ecclesiasticus of the Old Testament tells us that the debt we owe to our parents, that we owe them a debt of gratitude, of appreciation, of honoring them and loving them. Two, what are the duties of children toward their parents? Well, first of all, they say, to love and respect them as long as they live. And that's very important because uh, there are those who say, well, when I reach my majority and I can move out of the house and be independent, I will. And some seem to have the idea that they want to escape their home and they want to get away from their parents' authority so that they can be, quote, independent and free to do as they please. Well, this shows a decided lack of love and appreciation, certainly. <clears throat> but one might ask, well, you know, how long do I have to respect my parents? And the answer is, as long as they live, as this catechism answer says. Uh, as long as they're your parents, you owe them respect, and you owe them love, and you owe them affection and care. And um, <clears throat> one might say, well, how long do I owe them obedience? Well, that's another question. You see, the second, the second uh, part of this question number two is, we owe them this, to obey them in all things except sin. When we are subject to their authority at the house, in their home, yes, we do. We have an obligation to obey them in anything that is not sinful. 
And so even if they command things that we might say, well, don't make any sense to us and we can't justify it in our own minds, that's not the question. It's not important. The question is, is it sinful? If they're commanding you to do something sinful, you can't. But anything else, you have an obligation to obey. <clears throat> even if you think it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to you. Uh, time and time again, you'll have teenagers saying to their parents, it's not fair, it's not fair. Well, the, the teenager is not the arbiter of what is fair and what is just. The teenager does not decide for himself what is fair and just in his own case. Uh, the teenager is still learning these things. <clears throat> so it is the height of arrogance for a teenager to protest a command of the parent. Now, the teenager, of course, in the family, uh, can address his parents lovingly and respectfully and express his mind. And any parent probably would be happy to discuss with a teenager who is being respectful, um, even if the teenager is trying to make his case. Uh, the parents whom I know would love to have their teenagers communicate with them more of what's on their mind. The teenagers uh, I know uh, would be respectful of their parents, and their parents would want to hear their teenagers' thoughts. Why? Because the parents' goal is to have their teenagers grow up, so they really want to know what they're thinking. They don't want to stifle that. <clears throat> the only question is when the teenager is obnoxious and arrogant and stubborn, that's what the parent doesn't want to hear. But the parent really has a goal, and that is to have their children grow up to be young men and young women and independent. The parents want their children to be independent. They want to be able to have them make their own decisions. They want to be able to trust them. But the trouble is, they have to earn that trust. The children have to earn that trust by using the liberty that they do have and using it well. Sometimes you'll hear children say, teenagers especially, you don't trust me, you don't trust me. And the parents say, well, I do trust you. I trust you to be a 15-year-old boy. I trust you to be a 16-year-old girl, and I, I trust you to be who you are. And I know the pitfalls that, uh, that are there, and so I have to watch out for you. I have an obligation before God to watch out for you. But don't think that that means your parents don't want you to grow up. They do want you to grow up, but they do want you to be independent. <clears throat> That's what they're, they're working toward, but they have to be able to trust you. And you have to earn that trust. It doesn't just come automatically. You have to show them that you can be trusted to make the right decisions, especially when it's hard. Show them that. Give them that reassurance. Don't fight them. Rather, cooperate with them. It's a cooperative effort. It's a matter of uh, grace. Grace that God gives them and grace that God gives you as a youngster, as a young person. Uh, so, we do have an obligation to obey parents when we're minors, uh, living in their home. We have an obligation to obey them at anything, anything except what is sinful. And uh, thirdly, we have an obligation to help them in their old age, or when they are sick and helpless. <clears throat> so, we will always have an obligation, again, as long as there are parents and they're alive in this world, we'll always have an obligation to go to their aid and help them as much as we can. Uh, as we grow older and we have other vocations, our parents want us to find our own vocations. They, they want us to uh, accept responsibilities to live a certain life, uh, whether it is in the religious life or whether it is in the single life or whether it is in the, in the uh, married life. They want us to find our vocations because they want us to find the life that God has chosen for us, the life of service for Him. 
And that life has its own obligations, and they understand that. And they want us to take upon ourselves those obligations, and they want us to be ready to do so and to fulfill them. They realize, of course, that this means that they will have other obligations besides our obligations to them. It won't make our obligations to them stop. It just means that there will be other obligations that might come first. They want us to have those. And they are trying to get us to the point where they will have the confidence that we're grown up enough, mature enough, to be faithful in the responsibilities that we undertake, the responsibilities of our own vocations. <clears throat> now notice, one, one might say, well, we have an obligation to be of assistance with our parents, uh, to our parents actually throughout their lifetimes. We don't have an obligation to obey them throughout our lifetimes. <clears throat> we have an obligation to obey them as long as we're minors. When we do uh, go our, on our own and we uh, have reached our majority, 21 years of age or so, and uh, when we do have vocations of our own, well, the obligations of those vocations that we've chosen, let's say if someone gets married and takes a wife or a husband and has children of his or her own, there are obligations to that spouse and to those children. And those obligations can come first before the obligations to the parents. And this is as it should be. <clears throat> but we will always have an obligation to help our parents as much as we can, in any case, without neglecting even more serious obligations. And we will have an obligation to love and respect them in any case, uh, even when we're uh, out and about on our own and uh, living our own lives and our own callings. We will still have an obligation to respect them even when we must rightfully disagree with them. As a teenager, we can disagree respectfully, but we have an obligation to obey. As an adult, we will have an obligation to respectfully disagree and not necessarily have an obligation to obey. We'll have to do what we believe is the right thing to do before God. And it might not be the same as what our parents think. It might not even be the same thing as what our spouses think. <clears throat> but we will have an obligation nonetheless to follow our consciences in meeting our obligations. And uh, as we grow older and we accept more and more responsibilities, it takes a lot of uh, grace from God to, to be able to order those responsibilities as God does and uh, meet the obligations that come first. In any case, even when we respectfully disagree as adults, we will always have to remember the respectfully part of that. We will, we will have to be respectful even if we must disagree. And fourthly, duties toward parents includes the obligation to see that they receive the last sacraments in a Catholic funeral. If they are not Catholic, to encourage them to become Catholics. Try to follow the example that we can set, set the best example we can for them, and pray for them. We have obviously an obligation to pray for them here in this life, and every bit as much an obligation to pray for them after they die and pass on. So we have to meet these obligations, whether we're um, looking them in the eye in this world or whether remembering them fondly if they've gone to the next. We have an obligation to continue to pray for them and to beg God to bless them, have mercy on them, to justify them from sin, sanctify them by His grace and glorify them in heaven. We have to pray for that. 
Uh, third question, how long is a child obliged to obey his parents? Well, this addresses what I was just mentioning. The answer is until approximately the 21st birthday or until the child leaves the home to be married or to become a priest or sister or enter another state in life, okay? <laughs> when the child is no longer dependent on the parent <clears throat> after the child reaches 21 years of age, then the child is not obliged to obey the parents. One, one thing especially uh, the parents themselves have to be aware of is that the child's vocation is determined by God and they are to help the child find his or her vocation in this life. But the parent cannot dictate to the child what vocation the child is meant to follow. In other words, the child cannot command the child, the parent cannot command the child to marry cannot command the child to marry anyone in particular, cannot even command the child to get married at all. It, it is not the parent's place to make such a command. The vocation that the child is to follow must be given by God, and the child must learn that from God himself. <clears throat> the child uh, can decide to enter the religious life, uh, can consecrate him herself or herself to God's service in the three vows or in the priesthood. But parents as much as they may want that to be so, cannot command the child to enter the seminary, enter the, uh, the novitiate, <clears throat> cannot command the child to become a religious or to become a priest. Now, but neither can the child forbid them to do so. I'm sorry, neither can the parent. Neither can the parent <clears throat> forbid the child to do so. Um, when we reach the age of our majority and uh, we are practicing members of the faith, uh, the Catholic Church, we have the right to marry, and uh, we have to make that decision and to live with it, to live up to the obligations of it. So the parents cannot actually uh, forbid a child to marry, and cannot even forbid a child to marry a certain person, no matter how opposed they are. They, they have, don't have the right and the power to do that. Um, so uh, the parent cannot forbid the child to enter the seminary, cannot uh, forbid the child to enter the religious life. The child is free to do so. The child has reached the majority and is able and willing to do so, and that child's will has to be respected because the child now has become an adult. God forbid, God forbid that the parent should obstruct the child who wants to give his or her life and his service to God. We remember an apparition of our Blessed Mother at Fatima. She talked to... Uh, our Blessed Mother talked to Lucia, and uh, Lucia asked her about uh, a couple of children. I th as I recall, a couple of girls, they were going to die. God was going to take them. The mother had been opposed to their wishes to enter the religious life and become sisters. The mother did not want to give them up. And so, but God did. God wanted them. He wanted them to be with him. It's easy to see why. If they're holy and pure and innocent of this world, they wanted to be in God's service, that if they offered themselves to God, who could blame God for, for taking them? They're his, after all. He created their souls. Not only did he create them, he redeemed them at the price of his own life. But parent would dare try to intervene there and say, no, I have a prior right even to God's right. 
Well, this parent did. And so these children were taken, and we have a reason to believe they were taken to heaven, of course. But it's a high price to pay for a parent who would obstruct a child's desire to serve God in this world. And there's another factor, too. If the parent is obstructing the child's willingness to serve God in this life, the parent might be actually setting the child up to eventually die in the state of mortal sin and go to hell. And perhaps that's another reason why, maybe the main reason why God took those children when he did, to prevent that from happening. After all, if the mother's influence in this case was so, uh, the French would say funest, funest, if it was so uh, evil, I would say that's not exactly the word, but if it was so adverse to the child's best interest, who knows how that influence would have played out in the child's life. And so um, it was very, very merciful of God to take those children as he did. You can read this in the little booklet that uh, talks about Our Lady's apparitions at Fatima, this exchange between Lucia and our Blessed Mother, and what she has to say there. <clears throat> so parents do have a, a certain right of an authority over their children, but it is not unlimited. They represent God here on earth, but they are not God, and they cannot take his place, really. Uh, ultimately, they have to teach the child to respect God's authority above all. If they use, abuse the authority that he's given them, if they abuse it, the parents abuse that authority to lead the children astray or away from God, that God will hold the parents responsible for. Very serious business. Number four, do your parents come before your marriage partner? In other words, do, do your parents, the obligations you owe your parents, uh, come before the obligations you have to your spouse? The answer in the book is no. Your first obligation is to your marriage partner, they say the spar, the spouse that you have, and to your children. God has joined you together. It is says in sacred scripture that a man will leave his father and leave his mother and he will cleave to his wife, and God will join them together, and they will become his one flesh. That's the intimate union between a husband and a wife. And uh, God will call the man to, or the woman, to leave the people who he or she loves most in the whole world, mother and father, and um, to take a spouse, and to take a spouse in the name of God, and God will join them together. So that relationship actually takes precedence. And uh, so if, if there's an, the, the spouse needs husband or wife, some very serious matter, then the parents, well, um, they, they will have to wait or find another way. In other words, the, it doesn't mean that the, the child of those parents, now a married man or married woman, can neglect them. It means he does have to try to provide for them as well as he can but he can't do so at the cost of neglecting his wife and children and their needs, their very serious needs too. He has to find another way to take care of his parents and their need if his wife and children need him more. Now, number five, what are the sins against the fourth commandment? <laughs> they give you a list of these here. Disobeying one's parents hating, threatening, cursing, striking, or insulting parents, <clears throat> being ashamed of them, wishing them evil, speaking or acting unkindly toward them, causing them anger or sorrow, 
This list is only a partial list, obviously, but it starts with the most serious ones. In the Old Testament, a child who struck his parents was liable to be put to death, executed. No, no questions asked. If a child struck his parents, he was liable to be, to be put to death. That's how serious this matter was. That's how great the obligation was to show respect to one's parents. In uh, ancient civilizations, even in, 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 in natural civilizations without the revelation of God, the obligation to respect one's parents and grandparents was paramount. It was just understood. It was part of the culture. It would be unthinkable for a young person to insult or to disgrace his parents and his family. Just unthinkable. We see how that has been corrupted and perverted today by modern liberalism. Liberalism is what has done it. The left has done this, destroyed these bonds that should be there and the, so pleasing to the eyes of God and even of men. In any case, this matter of obeying one's parents uh, really extends to so many things. For example, suppose, suppose a child were to come to the priest in confessional and say, uh, Father, I was at a party and I was, I was drinking. I was at three parties. I, I, I drank. I didn't get drunk. They might be saying I, they got drunk. Okay, so there's a, there's a sin of drunkenness there. It's a sin against the fifth commandment. But even if they didn't get drunk, but they were just drinking alcoholic beverages. And let's say they're 16, 17 years old. And um, so the priest would ask them, well, you're confessing this because uh, you're not old enough to drink legally. Is that it? And say, yes, that's right. And uh, so they're, they're underage drinking. So what would you have to say as a priest? What would you have to say to them? Uh, that uh, uncovers the morality of what they did, what they're confessing, so that they know the morality of what they're confessing. <clears throat> well, you ask them, well, first of all, uh, were your friends present? How many were present there? And uh, they might say, well, there were 12 other people present at the party. And did they all know that you were drinking underage? Uh, yes, they all knew that. Okay, so you gave sins of scandal. You committed sins of scandal to every one of those people there. There were 12 people at that party, and you gave the example to each and every one of them who knew you were underage, that you were drinking alcohol. This is the example you set for them. <clears throat> you encouraged them to do the same thing by the example you set, basically saying, hey, this is okay, this is perfectly all right. In my eyes, this is fine for someone to do. So that's the sin of scandal. That's also a sin against the fifth commandment, by the way. We're multiplying the number of sins from the one act here. And you ask yourself, well, wait a minute, where did you get the alcohol? They say, oh, my, my friend took it out of his parents' cabinet, liquor cabinet. Say, okay, did he have a right to do that? Uh, well, his parents didn't know they were away, okay. So he stole that. He stole that from them. So it's a matter of theft, too. Against the seventh commandment, he stole what didn't belong to him and gave it to others to share. Uh, so all of those who took part in that uh, actually realized they were dealing with stolen goods, that this child who was hosting this thing stole his parents' property, which would have been against their will. And what would have happened if uh, there had been a problem such that the police were called? Uh, who knows what could have happened, but such that the law enforcement was involved, and they would have found that there was underage drinking at that home. Who would be responsible for that? Well, the parents 
of those who live there would be responsible for this. And uh, this would uh, do a lot of damage to them, would hurt them, would offend them. Not only would it offend them, it would uh, also affect their relationship with their own child uh, in what was done in the home behind their backs. And uh, so all of these things were put at risk. All of these things were, are in play. They're put on the table here because of this, this one act that this one, one child is confessing. Uh, does the child understand these things? It's a child. Generally, they don't really understand these things, or if they do have some glimmer of them, they don't understand. The consequences can be very serious, serious matters. I suppose uh, the risk involved uh, encouraging others to drink and uh, then drive when they shouldn't have been, and someone got hurt, maybe someone got killed. Is it out of the question? This happens. This happens day after day after day, week after week. We read about these things happening, and they make the news. Uh, terrific accident, uh, young people winding up in the hospital or in the, in the morgue, um, over-drinking, underage drinking. I mean, when you take part in these things, you're involved in them in somebody's home. Uh, you are you're buying into this. You're part of it. You're encouraging it. You're uh, you're setting that example for others, and you're responsible. You're responsible for that example that you set. But that doesn't even get to this question. You ask the, the youngster who comes in to confess that they were drinking underage at this party. Your parents would your parents approve of this? No. My parents would not approve of this, okay? So how gravely would your parents disapprove of this? Well, my parents would consider this to be really serious and wouldn't want me doing this. Wouldn't let me go to the party if they knew I was doing it. Okay, so here you have a, the child is working this out in his own mind that this was a mortal sin of disobedience at the same time, a mortal sin of disobedience to his own parents. And he might say, well, my parents didn't know, so they never told me not to do it. You say, well... You didn't ask them because you knew they would say no. Well, that's right. Uh, I knew they would say no. So the fact is that they knew the parents forbade this, and they went ahead and did it anyway. And it was a mortal sin because the parents considered this to be a very serious matter. <clears throat> so you see the pile of sins is growing up as, as they realize the consequences and all the people affected by this. I mentioned this in this connection specifically because of the matter of, of disobedience and uh, how that is brought into play here. And not only that, I mean, you know, it, it's not stretching it at all to say, look, by the example you set, you encourage others to do this when your obligation really was to discourage them from doing this. As a Catholic gentleman, young man, as a Catholic young woman, you should have been saying to them, look, this isn't right. I want nothing to do with this. I can't do this. My parents wouldn't want me to do this, and I, and I owe them that. I owe them that respect and that loyalty. <clears throat> Even if you were just afraid to, to say that, just to say, I don't like that. I don't react well to that. It makes me sick. Uh, whatever it is, just don't do it. But the real obligation would be to stand up for what is right and discourage your friends from doing this because you know that they're in danger if they're doing this. And if you go ahead with it, you're not only disobeying your own parents, you're encouraging all of them to disobey their parents, too. You're encouraging them to commit mortal sins of disobedience to their own parents, put themselves at risk. In the very least, you could say, even if all the rest of the people there were of age to drink and you were the only one, okay, maybe, maybe they could legally drink, but you're still announcing to them, my parents 
obviously would forbid this, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And that shows the most gross disrespect to your parents, basically saying, uh, my parents wouldn't want this. I couldn't care less. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what they say. That's an awful thing to do to a parent. It's an awful thing to do to them. And in doing that, you're betraying your parents' trust, actually showing them they can't trust you. If they discover what you've done, you could blame them for being, feeling betrayed by you. They'll still love you for it, but the question is whether they see you as loving them enough, loving them enough, you loving them enough to be faithful, to be trustworthy, and to uh, care about what they say, care about their authority and their responsibility for you. Again, trust has to be earned and maintained. It doesn't just uh, come out automatically there. It's not something you can take for granted. God forbid that you should break your parents' trust, betray them, and uh, then they realize they've got a 16, 17-year-old teenager whom they cannot trust. That's an awful situation for a parent to be in. Uh, the same with talking about your parents behind their backs, to grousing about your parents, complaining about them, saying, oh, my, my dad, my mom wouldn't let me go see this movie. Everybody else is allowed to do it. I'm not allowed to do this. That is, again, uh, that is backstabbing your parents. It's a very serious sin. It also sets a terrible example, <clears throat> and so on. So, um, anyway, you get the idea that respect is due, and to breach that respect can be very seriously sinful. Very offensive to God. Number six, what else does the fourth commandment oblige us to do? To respect all lawful authority, especially the authority of the church and the state. So you see, the parent's authority actually is like the, the tip of the iceberg, you might say. Um, there are others in our society who do have authority. And uh, the society is built upon that authority. It's a formal cause of the unity of any society is, is the authority. You destroy that authority and the whole society disintegrates. It's true of the family. It's true of the city. It's true of the state. It's true of the nation. Part of the problem we have now, it is actually probably the problem we have now. That, that authority is disintegrating before our very eyes. Our society is disintegrating because of it. Because human beings have detached that authority from the authority of God, the only real foundation for it. It's lost its moorings, and that society is just uh, heading for shipwreck right now. Because it has denied the authority of God, it has lost its very foundation. And as I say, the moorings of the ship are, are gone. And it's being smashed by the waves onto the shoals it's, uh, and the reef. The, um, the authority in society is very real. It comes from God. And uh, insofar as, as it is used in accordance with the will of God and the law of God, it is legitimate, honest, authority that must be obeyed. We have an obligation before God to obey authority, which is legitimate, and it is legitimate when it is according to God's will. When the authority defies God's will and commands something contrary to God's will, we have an obligation not to obey. 
We have an obligation to refuse obedience. That would be false obedience to obey a cynical command contrary to the will of God. That is true. Whether it come to an authority in our society commanding us to do something evil, or a parent. If a parent is commanding us to do something that is morally wrong, we have an obligation to obey God rather than any men, even our own parents, even our own legislators and judges, and we have an obligation to obey God above all. The command, the uh, rather the uh, quotation given here in question number six is from Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to higher powers, for there is no power but from God. And those that are, are ordained of God. Therefore, he that resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And uh, it says, Render therefore to all men their due. Tribute to whom tribute is due. That is taxes, actually. Customs to whom custom, fear, to whom fear, and honor, to whom honor. Fear as more the sense of respect, actually. Give respect to those to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. That is true in the family, that is true in the society we live in, too. You see the idea of uh, trying to defund the police and all the rest, but the police represent that uh, executive authority in our society. It is suicidal to want to do away with them. Uh, the wolves definitely want to do away with the, uh, with the shepherd. You know, this is basically they, they want to do away with it because the wolves want to have their way. They don't want anyone who can stop them from uh, uh, wreaking havoc on the, on the flock. The same it is all of those who are clawing and uh, clamoring for defunding the police. They are demanding lawlessness. They want anarchy, and this is a step in getting the anarchy. <clears throat> this can happen in a family, too, by those who uh, deny the authority of the parents, and they are anarchists, as much as those in our society now who are claiming to defund the police so that we're basically defenseless against them and their violence. So, all authority, real authority, needs to be respected. It is absolutely necessary for the good of any society, the nation, and all the way down to the family itself. Number seven, what are the duties of parents toward their children? In here, they close this chapter by referring us back to pages 125, following. And we'd already covered this in Lesson 33, so I don't need to go into any detail about this. <clears throat> but uh, I think I already indicated that the parents need to use their authority, and they need to use the authority. They, they can't default in that. They have an obligation for bringing these children in the world to use their God-given authority over them to raise them, to nurture them, to educate them, and to bring them to the fullness of their powers so that they can live their own life, live their own vocation, have their own responsibility, serve God, and save their souls. Um, this is an obligation they have toward their children, and this is even an obligation they have to the society in which we live, to provide a good coming generation for this, for this world that needs good, solid Catholic gentlemen and ladies, desperately needs them. People of principle and faith, love, and self-sacrifice. So this is the obligation parents have to do, to form their children in this way to form their children's consciences. 
So they can't just default. They can't just abdicate and say, well, this is too much trouble. I'm going to leave it to my wife or I'm going to leave it to my husband to do this. I want no part of it. They can't leave this to um, the babysitter. They can't leave this to a relative or uh, the state in the school systems or uh, daycare. They can't leave these people to raise your children. You have an obligation before God to raise your own children and to make sure they turn out right. Give them the best you have. You can't expect to get the best from your children unless you're willing to give them the best that you are, the best that you have. I usually say that try to envision the kind of man you want your son to be. Try to imagine the kind of woman you want your daughter to be. And then you be that man now. You be that woman now. You be that for them. You set that example for them. You be exactly the man you would want your son to grow up to be. You be exactly the woman you would want your daughter to grow up to be. Let them bring the best out of you so that you have reason to expect that they will give you their very best. Well, in any case, um, that sums things up. But uh, whatever you do, you have an obligation to use your obligation, your authority out of love. That's the directing principle of all authority. You can't disassociate authority from love. If you do, it becomes a monstrous, monstrous, uh, a monstrous construct that is, that is uh, tyranny, nothing but tyranny. To disassociate authority from love uh, produces your tyrants, such as Stalin and Hitler and Mao and all of the great monsters of society and history who tried to use absolute authority uh, entirely selfishly, without love. So you have to use whatever authority you have together with your love or actually motivated by love. And uh, in that sense, in that, in that way, you'll be fulfilling your vocation as a parent to represent the authority and the love of God on earth for your own children. God bless you all.